How are we doing? I am not. You can tell. This sounds amazing, doesn't it? My wife's like, you sound terrible. I'm like, thank you for that encouragement. Um, I'm really excited to be here. Uh, we had Cattle's West Coast last week, and so I red-eyed home, uh, and we had pl- planned to be a part of this for a while, and then we found out that um, we're moving this week. So that's great. And we had spring break last week while I was out at West Coast. My wife loves me right now. She's like, you are my favorite person. Um, So we're moving tomorrow. We close on both houses on Thursday. We put new carpet in on Friday. We move in on Saturday. And then a speaking engagement in Portland that was scheduled in February, they got scheduled, canceled for snow, is on Sunday. So it's going to be a great time. And I, I don't know what this is all about. So... I'm going to give you my best. I, I feel pretty good. I just don't sound great. So if you listen to this, you, you might think, all right, that guy's very masculine. I'm not. This is just, this is what it is. All right? Uh, quick show of hands, too. Again, again, you guys mentioned uh, portable church, church planning. I, I love this. If, um, if you don't know my story at all, which probably most of you do not, um, I was a part of uh, North Point Community Church with Andy Stanley for over a decade. We started Athens Church, which was one of the first partnership churches of North Point. So it wasn't a campus like Buckhead or uh, North Point was. It was a, it was one of the first kind of church plants out of North Point. I'm a Georgia Bulldog, so it was really cool for us to go back uh, to Athens. Thought I'd be there a long time, and as I'm going to share and part of today, uh, that didn't work out so well. And a lot of that was chemistry and fit with leadership. Anybody ever had that problem? Don't elbow anybody <laughs> that you're currently sitting next to, but we'll get into that story here in a minute. But... <clears throat> So I, I just want to tell you that because, yes, I get the opportunity with my team. And Daniel Klein, uh, I don't think he's in the room, but he's our CEO. moved him into that. And um, I get to, we get to lead an incredible organization called Catalyst. How many of you have been to Catalyst before, have heard of it? How many have heard of it? Maybe a few of you heard of it. This year's our 20-year anniversary. And uh, what worked for 20 years will not work for the next 20 years. And so I would love your prayers. We are praying through what are the new wineskins. And if you don't know about Catalyst, a guy named John Maxwell started it. And I love doing that with millennials because they're like, we've never heard of that guy. And they're like, however, he's kind of the godfather of leadership for so many of us. But here's the truth. And all of you over 40, let's say over 40, myself included, go under 40. That's the rest of you. Okay, just check in. Here's, here's what I know is we, those of us over 40, were raised by John Maxwell, Jim Collins, Andy Stanley, and Craig Groeschel, but we've got a new generation that don't know them, that don't know that leadership matters. And so what I want to talk to you about uh, today is, is how important leadership is as you are starting to lay the foundations for your church or you're 10 years into it. I bet you figured out by now that leadership really matters. And so um, I'm really excited to talk about that. Uh, but a little bit more about me, just real quick. That sounds selfish. That's not what I meant. Uh, been married for 18 years this year. That's pretty good. Um, except for this week, apparently. <laughs> she most of the time loves me. It's great. Um, two boys. My boys are 11 and 8. And so we play golf together. We cheer on the Bulldogs together. And, and we try to cheer on Atlanta sports. But it's, yeah, there you go. That's exactly it is like a gag reflex when you're an Atlanta sports fan. But here's, here's one of the things. Um, before we get into this leadership conversation, I just want to... I want to say something to all of you. It's an honor to sit and and just to be able to have a conversation around leadership. For me, this is a bug that got into me probably 20 years ago. Um, And even early on, I I became a believer late in high school. 
I was around uh, church growing up, but my parents would join a church, move their letter, and then we would stop going, because that seems to make sense. Um, <clears throat> but big thing for me was I didn't know too many churches. Um, I didn't know many Christians that were fun. And I know that sounds shallow. I am. <laughs> I just... I am. I didn't want to join a worldview that was going to change all, that this is all I knew about it, that would change my behavior, what I was supposed to do, and it not be fun. Like, what's the point, right? It wasn't until high school I met some people in a youth group, and I I started getting connected to churches that were bringing life to the people that they were serving. I love what Joel said this morning. Everybody in this world can critique him, but he knows that God's called him to encourage people. That's pretty sweet, isn't it? And I, we're going to talk even more about that, about that uniqueness and why that matters to pay attention to. But I say that to go, um, even as, when I became a believer, people were like, you should go into ministry. And I was like, I'm not going into ministry unless the Lord calls me into ministry. Yeah. I just didn't, I, I, that's all I knew, as I knew that I, if he was going to do that, that I'm going to have to hear from him. But the reason they were doing this is because I have a natural leadership ability. I have a natural ability to get, get people going the same direction or at least near it. Uh, as best as I can, and so, and I, but I was just not going to fight that natural talent. I was going to go or that skill. I just wanted to go, Lord. Is this what you want me to do? And I just want to tell you this little story because uh, I was a sophomore at Georgia. Was rest, I've been wrestling with it for three, four years, and finally at, at our campus ministry one night, I was like, I'm kind of done wrestling with it. It wasn't like an ultimatum with God, but it was like, God, I need to know. I put my knees on the altar, and I thought I was there five minutes. I was there for about an hour. The Lord's just presence came onto my life, and it was unbelievable. So last week at Catalyst West, we had 3,000 leaders there, and leaders desperately need the touch of the Spirit. You know, one of my favorite things about what we do is our heart is to pour life into leaders who are pouring it out day in and day out. And so we tell leaders that come to our events, hey, you've, uh, you, you lead 363 days a year. These are the two days that you're not in charge. So even I want to encourage you with that as you're sitting in these, in, for these two days. You're not in charge. Doesn't that feel weird? Uh-huh. But isn't it kind of great? Yes. I mean, they gave you snacks. <laughs> and you don't have to refill them. You don't have to go pick up the trash. Come on. This is a big deal, right? It's a big deal. But I say that is you need to meet with your Heavenly Father over these two days. And so on Thursday night, it's kind of our night of worship. We had Kim Walker-Smith. She's decent. And... Uh, <laughs> And Phil Wickham, uh, they've never done this together. It was unbelievable to get them to, to lead together. And then Chad Veach spoke. And afterwards, Chad was still on the stage. I was in the back. And I just sensed, because she was going in that song, uh, Fresh Outpouring. And I just sensed that the Lord wanted to release a fresh outpouring, or for some leaders, a first outpouring. And so I, I went up, found my way to the stage. Um, I never have any credentials, so they're always like, sir. And I'm like, oh, crap, i got to go around this way. Anyway, I got there eventually. And I, I never get on to volunteers, by the way, because they're doing their job. And so it's like, you know, there's never going to be a time like, I'm kind of in charge of this thing. But, no, you're doing a great job. I'll figure out a different way to cheat the system. <laughs> so... Uh, but, you know, I create the system, so it's good. It works out. So anyway, I get up there, and I said, Chad, I really feel like we're supposed to provide some space for these leaders. And he's like, I'm in. So he goes up. Shear's kind of going, if you need a fresh outpouring or a fresh outpouring, when would you come down? And I'm not kidding you. About 800 leaders came down and just lined the aisles. We couldn't even get to him to pray for him. And what that said to me is that we are so desperate for the Lord's touch. But it also says to me that you put yourself in a position that you need it. And I say that in a good way. There's a lot of leaders that are like, no, I'm good. But when you're loading in for five straight years, when you're trusting on manna from heaven, 
every day when you don't have the money to make payroll this month? Tell me you're not putting yourself in a position to hear from the Lord, that you need that. But it's sometimes you feel like that desert, and I can promise you we can tell stories of how long I felt in the desert. Still do it days. But we desperately need the touch of the Spirit. So I just want to pray for us as we get into this, and I, I just want to encourage you over these two days. I'm, I'm in the event world. That's where I live. What I want you to do is rest over these two days. Not rest like check out. Rest physically and rest with the Lord because there's something beautiful about sitting in His presence. That's where you work from. That's where we succeed from. That's where we bring life from is in His presence. So let's just pray for a minute. If you would, just maybe even just kind of palms up. Would you just, in your own space, would you just ask the Lord... What is it that he wants to refresh? What, what's that area? Or why don't you tell him where you need to be refreshed over these next two days? Lord Jesus, we just invite you. <clears throat> we just invite you even in this time. We've heard some great things today, but w- would this be a special moment today? Would this be a holy moment, Heavenly Father? We just get, it's another moment to sit in your presence. It's another moment to meet with you. It's another moment to cast our cares upon you. What a beautiful gift you've given us. And so we just, as a collective group, just say, we're going to come to you right now, Father, and we're going to cast our cares on you so that we can find rest. And Father, as we talk about the absolute critical foundation that leadership is, would you allow us to do it in a way that brings you honor and glory? Because, God, for me, leadership is not just about what I do day in and day out. It is all about reflecting your goodness and your glory to the people we get to lead. Would you help us do that in this time? In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said, I've got two boys. And again, John Maxwell, for those of you that don't know, is pretty legendary. He's written about 700 books. Um, mostly on the same topic, but don't tell him I said that. I mean, look, if you can figure that out, guys, do it. So John always described leadership as anybody ever, leadership is what? Influence. Influence. It's that simple. And I realized so many leaders, uh, I did a social media thing one day and I said, how many of you, uh, when I say the word leader, think of somebody else? And like 60% of the people said they think of somebody else. And so I realized literally yesterday more, I didn't realize this, but it's another example of this leadership as influence by having an 11-year-old who is a preteen and his mood is quite impressive. We wake up yesterday. I mean, it's just the moment he woke up, he was in a bad mood. So I threw him outside, said, come back when you're in a bed. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Might work. We've been watching Little House in the Prairie. Guaranteed they'd do that. <clears throat> Here's what I know. Is he has no idea that his leadership impacts all of us. I remember planning a thing for uh, my wife for Mother's Day. And we had planned it. I walk, You know how you have, if you have kids, you have to walk it through. Okay, this is not about you. Uh-huh. Son, look at me in the eyes. This is not about you. And guess what? It became about him. Because we weren't doing what he wanted to do, and he was in a bad mood. And it affected every area of our family that day. And what I realized is those of you that don't think you're a leader, you're wrong. Because everyone in this room has influence with at least one other person. And how you steward that influence is your leadership journey. And I love what even uh, Joel was saying about like, hey, if you've got 90, preach to 90. Some of you are going, I got nine. Uh, my friend Alex Seeley, um, Alex and Henry planted the church called Belonging Co. in Nashville. 
Alex tells a story in one of her messages about um, when they first started the church, it was a Bible study in their basement. They had n- literally nine people in the basement. And she says she remembers a night when she was teaching and then praying for these nine. And she said, I remember thanking the Lord. And she was just crying because the Lord was moving in such a palpable way. And she said, if only for these nine, I would give you everything I have for the rest of my life. That's the posture that shouldn't surprise you that succeeds in the kingdom. That within a pretty quick time, all of a sudden, Lauren Daigle and the rest of the best worship leaders in the world showed up at their church. And and seriously. But it's because they've stewarded their influence of nine. Now they've got 19 or 900 or whatever this. So as we talk about this leadership thing, I just have to get it out on the table that every one of you right now going, oh, this is probably for somebody else, which honestly, if you came in here, you're probably thinking it's not. But it's for each of us. We each have a leadership journey. My 11-year-old has a leadership journey. Like yesterday, taking him to basketball, we're listening to Louis Giglio because I want him thinking some of the things that we're listening to. And we listened to our 10-year anniversary. We had Chuck Swindoll, and he gave 10 things he learned in 50 years. It was awesome to listen to it with my 11-year-old going, you are a leader and you need to pay attention to this. My dad taught me how to use stink bombs. That was our gift. I'm going to give my son a little more. I mean, I love my dad, but there's that. <laughs> um, I'm going to take this a little step further. Again, we talk about influence, but how you steward your influence matters. At the end of the day, how you steward the little bit of influence in your mind some people are probably looking at it going, gosh, you have a lot of influence. But how you steward that matters. That is your leadership journey. Uh, each of us have influence with, with someone else, probably multiple someone else's. Uh, it could be at church, could be at home, could be at work. You have to recognize that. It doesn't matter where you are, you have influence with people. It doesn't matter how old you are. Um, so here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to think for a second. I want you to think about somebody who has been your direct boss or somebody you've worked with who, um, who was not a great boss, not a great leader, and, and had, have taken something from you. Maybe, you know, they just, they led at such a poor level that they took something from you. Can everybody think of that pretty quickly? Again, don't elbow anybody. That's not a good scenario. <laughs> now, I want you to think about somebody who's done the other, where the flow of life was the right direction. Think of somebody who you just, man, I want to be with that. Wherever they are, I want to be there. Sometimes that takes a little longer because that's fewer and far between, isn't it? To find people that are pouring life into others. Now, let me just say this. And again, I'm not even on that much cough medicine, but I I might be a little bit. Here's what I know. People want to be around people that bring life to them. That's pretty simple, right? I also know that as believers, we've been called to a different level. We are connected to the source of life. For us to bring life to the people around us, our connection to the Lord is critical. It's mission critical. But here's what I don't want. is somebody who God's called, who's gifted, who's talented, to go plant a church. But they haven't figured out the fact that leadership is massive to this thing. And they think it's just checking off the to-do list to make sure Sunday happens. And all of a sudden, people walk out and they don't feel any better than when they came in. Again, I'm not saying, well, let's create this feel-better society. What I'm saying is... If we are connected to the source of life and we don't create organizations that allow the flow of life to be correct, we're missing the boat. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. I think I'll talk about that. Well, let's talk about it for a second because it's a principle that I learned and it has changed my life. And it was from somebody that I will talk about in a minute. But uh, it's this simple principle. A good product with a bad process is a counterfeit win. It's that simple. How many of you ever experienced that? Anybody? 
Me and you? All right, two of us have experienced it. Anybody ever been to, uh, maybe it's a church that you grew up in and, and Sunday service was fantastic, but you knew that nobody wanted to be in the room together on Monday. That's a counterfeit win. If a ministry has this incredible following and tens of thousands of people there and yet the team is dysfunctional and unhealthy, that is not sustainable. It's not. It's a counterfeit win. How much better would our product, for lack of a better term, be if our process is healthy? Right? That's leadership. It's leadership one-on-one. Our job is to get into the the minutia of our day-to-day and go, how do we make this better? Oh, by the way, ministry is about people. So we should probably be pretty good at that. It's not just about a to-do list, and it's not about making sure I get from here to there. And, you know, I tell my team all the time, people are not an interruption to our day. They are why we do what we do. So when we're at an event and we got to move a pallet from point A to point B and we walk by 16 people, unless that pallet is filled with dry ice and something that has to ice cream, stop and talk to everybody you walk by. Right now, if, and by the way, if it is frozen ice cream, then you tell that person that stops you and you go, hey, I need to get this to the cooler, obviously. Can I come back? I want to finish that conversation. People are not an interruption. So that's why building a life-giving leadership organization, church, posture is going to matter. So we're going to get into that a little bit. Um, here's three reasons. I, I was saying that we, it's harder to think of people that have been life-giving in our lives because they're fewer and far between. We can all think of leaders, right? They got there first. That's why they got the title and they stink at leadership. John Maxwell always defined the five levels of leadership. The lowest level is just positional leadership. I am the boss because I am the boss. Who wants to follow that? I don't. I remember graduating. I went to Gordon-Conwell in Boston um, Seminary. And when I was graduating, a bunch of my friends were like, hey, I'm called to preach the gospel. And I'm like, yeah, there's more to it, though. And so I, as, over the last 20 years, I've just continued to realize that that, that might be 20%. 80% is making sure that gospel is lived out within my team, that that gospel is lived out within our organization, that me as a leader, that that's not just something I say, because I hate to break it to you, but your words don't carry weight if they don't match your Monday through Friday. They just don't. Now, the gospel, I'm, look, I, you, you understand what I'm saying. I love the New Testament. I, am, I love the Bible. I love everything. I went to school and kind of remember something about it. It's very kind of. I love it. The word matters. What I'm telling you is if we, it, it's what, what does it say in James, right? If we say these things but don't have love. If we do these things but don't have love. Listen, leaders, it's not just great that you can hermeneut and exegete. You better live it out day in and day out. And the best way to do that is to lead. The best way to do that is to show people in your life that you have influence with already that this matters to me. And it matters to me so much that I'm going to care for you in the way that I feel like God's called me to care for you. Um, here's three reasons why I think most people will not do this, that most people aren't life-giving leaders. Number one, we already talked about it. It's harder, and it requires more from you. It requires sacrifice, doesn't it? If you want to lead well and pour life into people, guess what? you got to give up some stuff here and there. I don't like that. We don't live in a culture that likes that. <coughs> Things of value require sacrifice. Number two, we already talked about this a little bit, but that you don't embrace the idea that you're a leader. You're never going to be a life-giving leader if you don't think you're a leader. So let's just break that myth right now. Everybody raise your hand. You're a leader. Congratulations. <laughs> I'm serious about that. So many people think other people are the leaders. They're not. Now, other people are called to different parts of leadership. 
Some of us are called to do certain parts of that leadership journey. Some of us are called, but we're all called to lead and steward our influence well. Okay? And the third is that many leaders haven't embraced their unique God-given self. I love what Joel talked about. We're gonna, we're gonna, that's where we're really going to camp out today, is on, I think, the most life-giving leaders in the world that have ever been in my life have become proud of their unique self. They lead from a place of confidence. They lead from, not, a, not arrogance, a confidence in who God's made them. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Anybody ever been to the Grand Canyon? Cool. <clears throat> I have not. But I've seen a lot of pictures. We're actually going this summer as a family. But there's a famous uh, spot in the Grand Canyon called Horseshoe Bend. Anybody remember those pictures? It's, it's really that big arc, kind of where the Colorado River turns and goes. It's one of the most photographed parts of the canyon. The crazy thing about that is it's created by the Colorado River, which starts in northern Colorado in a little place called Laputer Pass. And it is literally uh, maybe as wide as this iPad at the beginning of it. You could stand on either side of it. But here's the beautiful thing. If that river never gained more influence, it would never have created the Grand Canyon. But if that river had gotten stopped anywhere, it would have never created the Grand Canyon. The legacy of the Grand Canyon happens because the flow of life is correct. Because this river, this little bitty river, this spring gets joined downstream with more tributaries and more rivers and more streams, and it creates what we know as the Grand Canyon. Leadership journey is just like that. Some of you are literally starting at the very beginning right now. And how you lead is going to dem demonstrate and dictate whether or not the flow of life is correct. And if you block it and you cut it off, you will not be able to create a lasting legacy like that. Does that make sense? So what we as leaders, the, the way it kind of started making sense to me was when I lead poorly, I t the flow of life isn't correct. It's coming towards me. Grace is having to come towards me because I'm stinking at my job. But when I'm doing it right, you're always going to have a following. When you lead and bring life to people around you, you watch how quickly that two goes to four and how quickly that four goes to eight. The people around the table seem to all of a sudden be growing and, and, and uh, we're, we're adding people to the table. And it's not because I'm talented. It's because I care for them. It's because I'm stewarding that two, that four, that six, that 20 really well. And the flow of life is correct. Does that make sense? Yes. And that picture for me helps. You know, this little river, I remember um, Brian Houston posted this not too long ago. Uh, I assume I don't have Brian Houston, everybody know? Okay, <laughs> sorry, just making that comment. Anyway, he's a Hillsong, for those of you that are embarrassed if you don't know, it's okay. He started Hillsong, amazing leader. He and Bobby are some of the best leaders I've ever been around. He posted a picture probably a few months back. He was sitting in this, on this bench overlooking Los Angeles. And he talked about the fact that 30 years prior to that date, he sat on that very bench, and the Lord spoke to him as clear as day and said, you're going to have influence in this, not just this city, but all over the globe. He didn't know a soul in the United States. Not one. But for 30 years, the flow of life has been correct. He has poured life out. And that was, to me, that's the beginning of that journey for him. He's sitting there. It's, I've got a little stream. This is all I got right now. It's not huge. It's not as big as my friend's stream that I really would like to be in. But it's mine. And man, I mean, can you imagine sitting there not knowing a soul and God going, hey, you, by the way, you're going to, yeah, you're not just L.A., but all the U.S. And you're going, really? And yet he goes, okay, today, here's what I know I can do today. 30 years later, three campuses just in L.A., Orange County, San Francisco, 7,000 campuses, I don't know, it's not that many, but 
They're all over the world. And every one of you in your churches at least sing a Hillsong song or two almost every Sunday. <laughs> Leaders, listen to me, though. Had he not stewarded the flow of life correctly, we would not be singing those songs. We wouldn't. Pastor Tommy Barnett gets up there. That's not a coincidence that he's been preaching the gospel for 65 years or whatever it is. He has been correctly letting the flow of life go. He's been leading at a level that people want to be around him. My friend, uh, and I say this, he really is a close friend, Craig Rochelle and I talk about, he always says, I don't want to get to the end of this journey and have nobody around me. I don't want to build Life Church and version. They've done a couple things to be proud of. Sheesh. They're like, oh, yeah, $250 billion. Oh, whatever, Craig. All right. We had seven. Craig will be, I think he's here tomorrow night. He'll be great. Don't tell him I said this. Craig said, I don't want to build that and not have friends. I don't want to build that and just take from people for years because I'm not going to have anybody around me. Our jobs as leaders is not to only make sure we're pouring life into people. Let's enjoy the ride, okay? Let's make sure. If you, I promise you, if you choose to be life-giving to the people around you, you will enjoy the ride much more. It's just so much more fun. Um, I was uh, speaking at a church in Gainesville, Florida. Any Gainesville, Florida people? Good. That's where the University of Florida and the... You? That's it? That's all we got. All right. That's all we got. That's about all you got right now. So I'm, I'm up there and I'm talking about this concept of flowing life. And, and you guys, what, what do you call it when, when the flow of a river gets kind of dammed up and it stops and it just, it doesn't, it stagnates, right? What do you call that though? A swamp. And so I start going into this whole details of how nasty swamps are and how gross swamps are. Nothing good grows in swamps. And I realize, oh yeah, their stadium's called the swamp. <laughs> so I, w- I wasn't necessarily being super life-giving, but at the same time, they need to know it's disgusting. <laughs> but have you ever been in just a body of water where mosquitoes are kind of like, have you ever felt that in your organization? Or have you ever worked with an organization that feels that way? stagnant and gross and then you go somewhere else it's just like you breathe don't you think the church should be the best in the world with this that's why this matters to me we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute I know you think I've got a lot to talk about later but we're getting there here's the simplest way as I like to say it for those of you that want to gain an influence you want to continue to grow but when life flows influence grows it's that simple when life flows influence grows So are there any areas of your life right now that are stalling that flow of life? Are there things in your life that are keeping life from flowing correctly? Maybe it literally is the simple fact that you don't think you're a leader. Until you recognize you have stewardship of your influence, you're going to stall out that flow of life. We've got to do better than that. Um, In 2009, a lady named Bronnie Ware, she she was a hospice nurse in Australia. She... um, she did this basically for seven years. She would interview people on their deathbed because when hospice comes in, it's usually right at the end. And she would interview people on their deathbed and just basically say, what's your biggest regret in life? Let's just take a, I mean, we're a small group here. Anybody got an idea of what was the number one answer? Not enough time with family. Not enough time with family? I would have thought that was a good one for sure. What else? What's that? Didn't take enough Take enough. I think that's fresh from this morning, but it's a good, good answer. That's good. What else? Didn't make enough money, traveled too much, like all those things. No, not even close. Not even a close second. Number one was simply this. 
I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. <laughs> Biggest regret that we have to learn from leaders is that who wants to get to the end of their life and not be themselves? Spend their whole life chasing other people's uniquenesses. I mentioned earlier, the most life-giving leaders I know have become okay with themselves. So what if, this is a crazy hypothesis, but what if God actually uniquely created you for a unique purpose? And oh, by the way, let's just throw this out there that maybe it connects to your leadership journey. It's a crazy thought, but let me see if I can build on that a little bit. Number one regret was I wasn't my truest self. If you have your Bible, and if you don't, just go get it. Just kidding. Uh, if you have your Bible, Psalm 139. You've read it probably a million times. You've heard it a million times. But I want you to listen to it in your, as you are thinking. I love this part of the psalm because if there's ever a leader who is unbelievable on one day and not so unbelievable the next day, it's David, isn't it? I mean, I just relate to him, except I'm unbelievable like six out of seven. He was back and forth. That's a joke, guys. Um, the only way that we can give life to those around us is to have life to give, to be okay with us. So here's David's perspective on this. This is the first part of this, and I, I just love this. Um, and then we're going to get into the, the second part, which is really where we dive, dive into this. But God, investigate my life. Get all the facts firsthand. I'm an open book to you. Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. I believe this is the message version, by the way, because some of you are looking going, there's anyone on this. <laughs> you know when I leave and when I get back, I love that. I'm an open book to you. Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. Sometimes I love that. I'm never out of your sight. You know everything I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. I look behind me, you're there. I look up ahead, you're there. Your reassuring presence coming and going. This is too much. It's too wonderful. I cannot take it all in. Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit? Now, when we're in a good place with God, that's a real encouraging thing, isn't it? But when we're not, it's a little different. Oh, you were there? Oh, I didn't think anybody else was there. That's weird. If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew in the morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute. You're already there waiting. Then I said to myself, oh, he even sees me in the dark. At night, I'm immersed in the light. It's a fact. Darkness isn't dark to you. Night and day, darkness and light, they're all the same to you. I love that he's setting this up. Basically, he's going, and it's kind of creepy a little bit. Like, here, you're literally everywhere I go. You know my thoughts before I even say them. But here's what's beautiful about this. And some of you, honestly, I think some of you need to hear that today, that he's with you right now. <coughs> so we'll just leave that. That's, that's a different talk for another day. But some of you need to hear that he sees you and he knows you. Because you're working your tail off for him. And there's days you're going, I feel like more of the 99, not the one. Mm -hmm. Anybody ever feel like that? I feel like that right now. There's days I feel like he's, he's chasing the one, and I'm over here going, I'm the bit older brother, right? But I'm doing it right. Where you at, Lord? So some of us need to hear that today. That we can't leave his spirit, that he's there, he's searching, but he's just there. It's beautiful. And I love that David was overwhelmed by that. Now listen to what he says right after this. And this is where I just want to nail this home for you. Because to me, if this group can walk out with this concept completely ingrained in their hearts, I think you're, you're set up for a a legacy like the Grand Canyon. You're set up for something that lasts, that's beautiful, a leadership journey that changes, changes lives, yours included. Oh yes, you shaped me first, inside then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God, for your breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. 
I don't always feel that way. Anybody else? Okay. And yet, this is what David says, I worship in adoration. What a creation. I'm proud of how you made me. It's beautiful. Now listen, just because you don't feel something doesn't make it less true. So sometimes we as leaders, we have to proclaim what's true, whether we feel it or not. Okay? I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I even lived one day. So even if we just took this one verse at the beginning of this, oh yes, you shaped me first inside then out and you formed me in my mother's womb. We've all heard this, right? Literally, like four verses later, while the stages of my life were spread out before you. What if leaders, I'm just going to throw this out, but what if that unique personality type in you, that unique wiring, that uniqueness that you have was actually part of the plan? What if he actually gave you that little unique creative idea? What if he gave you that unstructured personality? What if he gave you uh, that carefree wiring while he looked at your story? It's one of the most powerful things I think I've ever wrestled with is that the quicker I can become proud that God uniquely made me and knit me together in my mother's womb while he looked at this story, the quicker I become proud of that guy that he created, the quicker I'm going to join in with his story. So many leaders I know, it's what Bronnie Ware learned as she interviewed these people. They get to the end of their leadership journey and they're like, I don't even look like the person I want to be. I don't even look like the person I know that's inside. We've got to learn from the dying and not have that regret. But leadership will take it out of you, won't it? Because you got to deal with freaking people. Right? Amen, sis. She's like, people. People are tough. But he died for them. And sometimes we have to die for them. God formed us. You know, David wrote, you shaped me first inside and out. The question I have is, do you believe that? Do you actually believe that? I can tell you one, uh, one thing. is There's an accuser that wants nothing more for you than if you believe that God did not shape you, that he did not make you, and that he made mistakes along the way. So um, I was telling you I was a part of a church, and I was there for about a year. And me and the lead pastor were not necessarily a great fit, to say the least. And, um, but, you know, uh, there's a book called The Tale of Three Kings. If you're ever in a position where you don't know how to deal with authority, that's where I would tell you. It's by Gene Edwards, and it talks about David, Absalom, and Saul, and how David understood that Saul was a horrible king. He was a horrible leader, but he was God's appointed leader. And it wasn't David's job to make sure that God fixed that. It was God's job to do that. And so in the season, I read that book about 48 times a day (laughs) because I knew that God had called this guy to lead, but I didn't have, like, I was trying to figure this out. And so we finished, uh, I was there about 14 months, and and God was calling me to go uh, to North Point and help start um, a different place. And so we had a, uh, it was in December, so he's like, hey, let's just do a one-year uh, evaluation. I'm doing it with the other guys. It'll be fun. And in my mind, I'm going, there ain't nothing fun about to go down at this lunch. I was like, sure. So we go to lunch, and he goes through this evaluation. I just kind of stay quiet. And um, he gets to the end, and, and no joke, y'all, he, he slid his paper over the side, and he goes, I've got one more major concern. And I knew this was going to go great. And he said, if you're not successful at your next job, yeah, it gets better. 
gets better. Which, by the way, just don't start like that ever. But he said, if you're not successful at your next job, don't blame the organization. It's probably just your personality. Yeah, that's right. And I just thought, man, I was loving. Um, I didn't respond. I thought a few things that I didn't say, which was good. Um, the Lord redeemed that. But here's the three things that have set with me since that moment. Number one was he was shirking responsibility for our relationship, which is fine. I, not a big deal. Number two was I thought of um, two of the six people that started North Point Community Church with Andy, and they were wired very similar to me, and they've been very successful with what they do. But the third one is what changed my life. It came in, brought me to this chapter right here. And I remember thinking, Lord, if Psalm 139 is true, which I think he and I both believe it's true, then if I buy into or subscribe to what he's saying right now, then I'm buying into the fact that you've made a mistake somewhere along the way. That you've given me a personality for floundering and not to flourish. And I don't think that's true. And what I believe is that God's called me to lead. It's just different. And what's amazing, you guys, is the very thing. So if, uh, right path is an assessment I love. I know we had Ian Cron with us last week for Enneagram. Any Enneagram folks in the, in the room? All the sevens, raise their hands. That's great. <laughs> I love personality assessments because I can figure, it helps me create framework and conversation and language, right? So on, on the right path, I'm incredibly unstructured, which is what he couldn't, it just couldn't fathom in his mind that I would ever be a great leader. But one side of structure, the, the, the um, attributes are precise, organized, and achieving, which I am not any of those. The right path used to not have attributes on the left side. It was just, so it felt like a strengths and weaknesses until they added attributes on the other side. So what that makes me is I'm not high in those, but I'm really high in precise, or excuse me, not precise, not no. What I'm really high in general, generalist, improviser, and instinct. You want to know what makes me good at my job at Catalyst? Something else, but no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Make sure you're awake. It's after lunch. After lunch spots, always fun. Instinct and improv. If you ever meet me at a Catalyst event, you'll walk around and go, you seem so calm. I'm either drugged just kidding. I'm just throwing. Thank you. That's good, though, right? Uh, you know, if you pull out the... Never mind. Um, then it's just a healthy oil. Uh, it's healthy. It's good for you. It's medicinal. It's totally kidding. Here's what I tell you. I'm calm because I'm alive. I'm calm because I'm not freaking out because the projector went down. That's where I come alive. My, my greatest gifts to Catalyst is that very thing that I was being told if I'm not successful as a leader, that's probably why. And the quicker I could line those things up, the quicker I was able to lead at a level. Listen, I do not have the pedigree to lead this thing. Thank goodness it's the Lord's anyway. All I know is how to take care of the two that I had 20 years ago, and then I got four. Maxwell and many other people say people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Listen, leadership is not hard in the sense of there ain't no big formula. Take care of people. You love people and you will always have a following. Psalm 139 allowed me for the next 13, 14 years of my life. You know what I do? I call out the uniqueness in the people I lead. Because I want them to become confident that God uniquely made them. I have a guy on my team, he's 25 maybe, He's got this unique wiring where he's high and challenging, which as a leader, you don't want a lot of those because you're always like, hey, this is where we're going. They're going, dumb. 
Now, they don't say it. They just say it. You know what I'm saying? I don't need a bunch of Luke like that. But here's what's unique about his wiring. Most people that have high and challenging, they're also pretty independent. They're also what... He's one of the best collaborators on our team. So what I do is I'll call it out and go, hey, Luke, did you see how you just thought about that? Like, none of us think that way. The way that you just literally were challenging us, but in such a peaceful, sympathizing way. Like, I want to hear more about that. But if you're super blunt and you're super challenging, you're not going to work for me because I don't want you around. And I say, no, I mean, you've got to work on that. I have to work. Here's the thing I know. And I, I again, I love Marcus Buckingham and everybody know your strengths and all those kind of things, right? John Maxwell says, play your strengths. I don't disagree with that. But here's what I do know. I'm highly relational. And when I get on site at an event, my team needs me to be relational. But guess what else they need? They need me to make sure I communicate. They need it. So it, you can't use these assessments and self-awareness as, as a double-edged sword that says, this is you, this is me, this is what I do, this is what you do. We as leaders, when I go in and I focus on just getting 10% better, I am never going to be great at details. If anybody ever works for me and thinks I am, they're wrong. But I can get a little better because I care about them. So figuring out your motivation, when you look at your emotional intelligence, motivation's a big deal. I am not motivated to achieve for achieving's sake. It's just not who I am. I'm motivated to achieve because I care that you achieve. I'm so relational. I want to make sure I'm doing, I'm working hard through the lens of that. Does that make sense? So leaders, this is all a little, I know I'm just talking about a bunch of things, but the point is, when you learn these things about yourself, and, and I write about this in, in the book, um, is there's, there's five uh, steps really to figuring out that identity piece, and then there's, there's, there's things we have to do as leaders to figure it out. But the, the basis for identity is self-awareness. You've got to know who you are. Now, what I love about emotional intelligence is the very next step is self-regulation, because I have a lot of people that are very aware that they're jerks. <laughs> they just don't do anything about it. Right? I, I mean, how many people have worked for somebody like, man, they are so self-aware, they know they're an idiot. Or they know they're a jerk, and they say things that are wrong. Listen, just because you catch yourself and apologize doesn't fix it. What we're trying to do is become... We want to change behavior. We want to be the kind of leaders that bring life to the people around us because we catch ourselves before we say the stupid stuff. But you've got to focus here. You've got to become the kind of leader that is, that is aware of what God's calling you to. Listen, you were made for unique for a unique purpose. Please embrace that. Before you can, begin, uh, you can become life-giving, you must quit chasing other people's uniqueness. So if I had a guitar, I would do this little illustration, but we can just talk it through. Um, Anybody play like acoustic guitar? Okay, a few of us. Um, so Taylor Guitars uh, is a pretty well-known, very expensive brand of acoustic guitars. They actually have a patent on the neck of their guitar because it makes a certain sound. And what I'll, I'll do at churches sometimes when I'm, I'm speaking, I'll have somebody come up that's never touched a guitar in their lives. And I'll have them take a very beautiful, nice acoustic guitar, and I'll say, just play some. And as you can feel, you're already feeling it right now. Like, it's the tension is palpable because it's terrible it's awful because they don't know where to start because they don't know how to play it the way it was designed to be played they don't know how to make the sound as it was created to make and I'm sick and tired of leaders that are the same way that are not living in their unique creative wiring and they're not making the sound they're made to make then you bring somebody up and you have them play it the way it's supposed to sound listen leaders the tension we feel when you're not living in your uniqueness is as much tension as you feel internally. One of the things I want is a free group of people around. People that are okay with their unique self. 
again, not a cop-out to be a jerk, not a cop-out to be rude, not a cop-out to not do my job, uh-huh. but to be okay with who I am and who God uniquely made me. So here's, here's why this matters to me, and then we're going to do some Q&A. I don't know a single person that's walked away from Jesus because of Jesus. Wow. But I know a whole lot that have walked away because of us, because of leadership. That's why this matters to me. That's why Catalyst matters to me. I love the local church with everything in me. I'm an ordained pastor. I still do weddings and just sign like another church. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I've only done that once, all right? Um, I love the local church. I believe in it with everything in me. But I also believe that it's been so desperately damaged by bad leadership. People that can preach the pain off the wall but can't lead to save their lives. So we got to do better. We have to. We are connected to the source of life. If we lead poorly, we will not be able to allow that to go to the people around us. Junk will go to that. Let's, let's leave the legacy like the Horseshoe Bend in Grand Canyon that's just gorgeous hundreds of years after we go through there. What if we all, I mean, just think about that. What if we, we were all Tommy Barnett's? I got too many friends that were out after five years because of bad leadership. I want to I do this for a lifetime with a group of people that believe the same thing. And I don't care if you're, you know, here, you volunteer at your church and you're a banker or you sell insurance or you're an educator or you're a pastor. Every one of us has to bring life to the people around us, including my kids. Unless they're in a bad mood. <laughs> including my wife. Like, I, want, I, I scheduled to be here for two days. Guess where I'm not going to be? Here for two days. Because we're moving and all those other things. There would be no life for me left to go back to. <laughs> so... Here's two questions for you. Are you living a life right now, acting and leading like someone you weren't designed to be? Listen, I know you want to preach like John Gray and you want to preach like, you know, whoever. They're not you. I love what Joel said about that this morning. How sweet was that to get to hear from somebody who uh, everybody has an opinion about because they don't know him. And to hear the pure heart going, I didn't want to be my dad. I had to learn myself who I am. So are you living as somebody else? Maybe it is your parents. Maybe it is somebody that you think is successful and you want to emulate them. Learn from them and do not emulate them. Be yourself while you learn from them. And the second thing is very simple, and this is foundational for all of us. How's the life flow into you right now? If you're a follower of Jesus, which I hope you all are in this room, if not, we can have an altar call here in a minute. We'll pray for you, and seriously. But I think you all are. If you're not connected to Him day in and day out, if you're not praying... Our battles are fought on our knees. But if you are not connected to the source of life, you will have nothing to give. So as believers, God has called us. We have a divine directive to lead at a higher level because we represent something bigger than ourselves. So let's bring life to people. When life flows, influence grows. And let's let the gospel go because we're life-giving leaders, not just because... My biggest thing is, God, don't work in spite of me. I want you to work with me. And that requires us to be life-giving. So, all right. Any questions? Yeah. Um, so we're gonna get mics on them, so the people that listen. Let's get each a uh, headset mic. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I don't get it. <laughs> production jokes. It's like pastor jokes. I just throw production jokes out at you. All right, here we go. What's um, your name? My name is Stephen. Hey, Stephen. I'm Tyler. Hey, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Um, so you were talking about a book. Uh, what is that book, first of all? Oh, sorry. It's a book I wrote uh, last fall called The Life-Giving Leader. 
Okay. Uh, learning to lead from your truest self. That's this. Okay. Um, my biggest question is, how do you find out who you are? Like, yeah. You know? I, yeah, I it's a good like question. I like, I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I think you probably know more than you think. Um, so that the process, a big part of that is, is maybe get some coaching, but, but take some of these assessments. Re- read Ian Cron's book, uh, The Road Back to You, which is about the Enneagram. And it allows you just to get some, some fuel in the conversation of you read it and you go, yeah, that's not me. And then you read something and you go, whoa, that, that he read my mail on that. That's when, you, when those things start resonating with you, that's when you go, okay, I need to pay attention to that. Like what resonated with me is instinct and improv. That is so natural to me. I do not have to think about it. It is who I am. Precise and organized? Not so much. Like we do. Uh, this year we'll do two events. The 12, 11 months that we're not at events, I'm miserable. And I say that, and like, I don't like planning. That's like, I like being at events. Like, that's where I come to life. And so there's a, there's a reality. I've got to put myself in position throughout the year, not just to count on these two things to fill me up. I've got to find some other spots. But those are the things that, that trigger in me. They, you know, does that make sense? The things that rise up and you go, yeah, that's me. So I would just start with self-awareness. Let's just start there. I'd also encourage you, I, people ask me like, you want to start a leadership conversation, what's the place to start? Um, Daniel Goldman in, uh, released this conversation around emotional intelligence back in the mid-90s through Harvard Business Review. So there's an article called What Makes a Leader by Daniel Goldman. That, to me, is a great starting point for leaders because it, it allows you to understand. It's the first time there was data to back up that the best leaders in the world aren't just best at leading projects and executing. They're best at leading people. So it was, the, it was one of the. It was very groundbreaking in that conversation, but it gives you a great framework, and it all based on self awareness. Self awareness leads to blank, you know. So that to me is the starting point. It's just take some assessments. Right past a great assessment. Um, Strength Finders is a great assessment. Myers Briggs. Um, the hard thing is they each got their own nuances of what works and what doesn't. But but just spend some time invest in that, and then ask other people like, hey, you've been around me a long time. Like, what do you think I'm good at? Because I bet they'll tell you. Yeah. I'll ask my wife. Yeah. Oh, well, I didn't know you had one of those. So yeah, you're done. <laughs> okay, make a pros and cons list. Let's get this party started. All right. What else? Another question. Yeah, right here. I was just wondering if you could talk us through maybe how you um, approach people that aren't life giving on your teams or people that don't seem to catch that from your perspective that are volunteers, not so much that you could like fire sure. them or give them a review. I have fired volunteers. There you go, all right. So. Well, you have to sometimes. Your job as a leader is to protect and steward those moments. You're, you're protecting and stewarding a platform, right? If you have a volunteer that stinks at their job, I, I know you're not getting paid, but you represent us. Right. Now, how you handle that right. is the leadership part of that. Right. You can have the very right conversation. You can, you can be right and approach it wrong, and you're not right anymore. It's a big part of it, okay? So I would say this. Um, if you want to take it, we can take volunteers or staff or whatever that is. But first of all, I don't want to be in a circle with people in my like inner circle that aren't going to bring life to me too. Like I need to have a place because I, I don't want to pour out all the time. I need somebody that's going to pour into me. There are going to be times that you're going to have people that are wired very, I think most of the time it's not that they're not life-giving. It's probably they're different. And it's like, ooh, like me and this guy. Like we, we had very different skill sets. And we saw, we processed life very differently. My biggest thing is coaching people. Um, when I first took over Catalyst six years ago, there were a couple of staff that had been there, at, gosh, combined about four staff, about 30-something years. 
long time. I mean, they were the backbone of, of creating this organization. But I knew that the culture that I was going to bring was very counter to the one that they, they instilled. And so what I knew was instead, I would rather coach them out of the organization than uh, just let them go. So, for instance, one of them who was one of the key leaders, I went to her and I said, and she had reported me, I'd come on for about a year to be the creative director and really develop the staff. That was a big part of my job. And she reported to me, and I remember saying to her, I was like, hey, here's the two things as we go into our spring events. This is what I want you to pray about. So this was me going, we got to work on some stuff here, but here's, I, 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 here, and again, not to throw out little phrases, but I would rather lose sleep before a hard conversation than after one. I would rather do everything in my power to make sure I handle this well than lose sleep because I sucked at it. Okay? So I remember telling her, I said, here's the two things I want you to pray about. I've already laid out my expectations for what it means to be a part of this team. I need you to pray if you can do that. And the second is, I'm never going to be Brad Lominick. So Brad was my predecessor. Brad led it for about eight years and did an unbelievable job of taking Catalyst to where it was. But I'm not Brad. And so I told her that, and I knew she, I mean, that's who she worked with the whole time. In my heart of hearts, I knew this was not going to be the right fit, but I would rather her come to that conclusion by coaching her through that conversation. So instead of going, hey, this ain't working, I just took the time to go, hey, would you pray about these two things specifically? Because I believe that for us to succeed, you're going to have to be all in. And I told her, if you're all in on these two things, I'm good. But I knew in my heart, because I've been there enough to go, it's not going to fit long-term because of those two things aren't going to be great fits. Does it make sense? It's just paying attention to it. Yeah. What else? Just probably one more question here. All right, you win. Jackpot. I feel bad. Do you feel I the pressure? No, sir, I'm good. Uh, <laughs> Me either. <laughs> right. I don't have any pressure to make this any good. Yeah, no, it's been awesome. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Uh, and I'm going to tell John what you said. Cool. <laughs> I'm kidding. Hey, so question for you. Uh, what was the article you mentioned on Harvard Business Review? Just now? Yeah. The What Makes a Leader. Okay. I think it's what it's called. What Makes, what a, makes leader. a Leader. Yes, thank you. That was Okay, we got to have another question. That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a clarifying detail question. She's got one right behind you there. As um, a highly detail-oriented task... I know you're task- person <laughs> um what are some best practices that i can put in place yeah. to um pour life into the people that i'm really meeting good. versus focusing on the task and the details so let me let me break this in a simple way because for one what what you're saying what i hear is that people like me don't like like just you to me like that we struggle with that he said he doesn't like you okay cool um that's not what i'm saying when you, do your, when you do you your very best, you're pouring life into me because you're creating an organization that's killing it. And I get to do what I'm really good at within the confines of that. Does that make sense? And so, like, my wife is more organized than I am. Actually, all of you probably are. Um, <laughs> but God uniquely made me that way. But my RVP of events, she gets it done. But she gets it done in the, the culture that we want, which is peaceful it's calm and it's not stressful. Everybody on our team knows, unless it truly is an actual fire, I don't want to see you running. I don't want to see you moving too fast. We are going, how we, how we respond to things is going to dictate all the way down to the last attendee. And that happens in your church, by the way. Your production team, they freak out because, you know, does anybody got a production guy that likes to walk like they're really important? They do. They're like, yeah, I got to go. Like, they're walking through your church because they want everybody to see that they're important because they got a headset on. 
I don't want that. I want to create a place where everybody feels comfortable. Listen, the gospel's offensive. Let's not offend them 16 times before that. Let's be really good at what we do. And so I say that to say, you being amazing at what you do. So the only thing I would add to that is when you're highly structured, when things don't go your way, because you planned them, it just kind of, it can short circuit things. Let's figure out when we go into it, Lord, would you just give me peace that if things don't go, that you will help me learn from this? Like, like it's all posture. When I come in, I know that I'm not going to forget how to be relational if I take a minute to try to be better at communication. You know what I mean? So I would say, just think about people as you're doing your task. Think you're doing it for them, not just to check it off the list. Will that help? Thank you guys for letting me be a part.